Hey, Madison. Hi, Mr. Chen. <laughs> Long time no see. Long time no see. Are you tired? I got to like third period today and I was so tired and I, I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized it's because I got to school at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> it's because I got to school at 6.20 in the morning. I know. For those of you who don't know, we had this thing called Senior Sunrise. I guess it's mm -hmm. a thing. I guess other schools do it too. Where yeah. all the seniors get together and we, we live, uh, well, we don't live, our school is right on the water. And so we're able to see the bay and there's like ships and there's sea lions and people swimming. And so we gather, what, what would you say, like 100 kids this morning? Uh, that is generous. Okay, 55. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's about a little between 50 and 100 kids out at the park this morning and they got there. It's like six something. And the the idea is at the beginning of the school year, you're supposed to have senior sunrise together and you watch the sunrise together. And then at the end of the year, you do senior sunset. You see the symbolism? Uh, in, the, in concept, that's so wholesome it's cute right yeah i sort of was just like oh it's just fun little get together but when you put it that way it's cute right yeah yeah so we did it and so i was at school i was at the at the park at like 6 30 in the morning and then then you go to school and so yeah by nine o'clock in the morning i felt like i had been at school for hours and hours yeah, but it was actually, I enjoyed it so much. I'm usually like reluctant to go to school things because I feel like I have no friends and I'm like, <laughs> who am I going to talk to? You know, it was really fun though. It was very chill. Yeah, I, I liked it too. I was yeah. such a hater. I didn't think anyone would go. I was like, is anyone even going to go to this thing? Yeah, a lot of people were haters. I was like the first one to show up, which is so, I hated that, but... um. They said, oh, look, our first person is here. How many people do you think is going to show up? Ten? And I was like, no. The only reason why I'm here is because I have a few friends who told me they were going, and I didn't expect them to go. So I told them that I think that their um, their outcome was going to be a lot okay. higher than expected. And it was. I was. I was right. You were right. I was wrong. Uh, hey, we should let people know what we're, what we're doing. So we're trying something new, people. Um, I've been doing these these super boring, dry intros by myself. Yeah, and I'm just the star. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, basically, no. It was me, and all I do is say like, okay, on this episode, we're going to be talking with this person, and. People are like, why do you sound so dead? Why do you sound so boring? And I was like, okay, that's time to switch it up a little bit. So we're trying something new where I brought, I, I begged Madison to come on a phone call with me to record this because I don't want to do it by myself anymore. But what's interesting about this is you're not even on this episode. <laughs> yeah. I recorded I this episode by myself, actually in my office mm -hmm. during fourth period. So I was, it was during school. Interesting. And I made the call because, uh, yeah, the guy we interviewed, uh, Dave Dave Liu, had a bunch of meetings before 11 o'clock and a bunch of meetings after 12 o'clock. And so we had to squeeze it in. So I was like, okay, I'll record from my office at school. So we did it within that hour there. So I, I think it turned out pretty good. I think you're a pretty fun guy. I don't know why you need me. Well... <sighs> I it's, I feel like just talking about myself was really boring. I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I listened to a podcast where someone did intros like that, and she was really good at it. I but, understand. But yeah. So anyway, so what we're talking about today on this episode is, do you remember Jeremy Lin? Have you heard that name before? Basketball. Yeah, basketball, <laughs> Lin Sanity. Duh. How old were you 10 years ago? You were seven years old. Mm-hmm. So he went off on this streak of games where he he wasn't really a starter in, on the basketball team. He was kind of like a bench warmer mm -hmm. for all, for a year and a half. And then um, there were all these injuries and there was all this stuff going on and the, the team needed players. And so the coach said, all right, let's just put in this, this kid. And they put in this guy named Jeremy Lin who was a star in high school. He was really good in high school and he's really good in college. But, you know, a lot of people looked down on him and doubted him. 
In fact, I think when he joined the the New York Knicks basketball team, the other players thought he was like a water boy. <laughs> what does that mean? The guy, the guy who gets towels and water for the real oh, players. Oh no! Yeah, they were like, "Who is this Asian kid? What's oh he? Because he's not God. even super tall. He's tall. He's way taller than me. How tall is he? Look he's six three. Oh, so, what do you mean that's not tall? But in the ba- but in NBA, that's like what's average height? Like six nine. Actually, yeah, like that's that's average. insane. Well, six, maybe six, seven. But anyway, so he. Oh my god! And, you know, and he he doesn't. He looks like he looks like your cousin. He looks like someone who could be related to you, or me. And he doesn't look <laughs> super athletic, but he was really good. But mm-hmm. no one really gave him a chance, and so he had this moment where he had a chance, and he goes off for like 12, 13 games in a row. He just really. For those two weeks, three weeks, he's like the best basketball player in the world for those for those couple of weeks. And so, uh, this guy Dave Liu, he's a he's a producer. Well, actually, he's not a producer. He's more of a businessman. But they brought him on because he was able to help raise money because no one would raise money for this documentary. And so he was really good. He's really well connected with the business world, mm. especially Asian American businesses. Mm. So he called up his buddies. He has this amazing. Do you have you ever heard of what a Rolodex is? Nope. So in the eighties, a watch. That's a Rolex. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a Rolodex. Is like this spinning uh, file where you have these cards with people's phone numbers on it, and then there's oh, like alphabetical tag. You've probably seen one in like an eighties artifact. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> So anyway, so someone who has a a lot of connections, you say, oh man, they have a really good Rolodex. Oh. <laughs> so this guy, Dave, has like everyone's number. So when they needed money for this movie, none of the Hollywood studios would pay for it. So he would just call up, oh, uh, founder of Zoom, let me call you up. He's Asian. Uh, founder of DoorDash, let me call you up. You know, you, you want to help support this movie. So he'd just call up these famous... CEOs and founders and you know investors and they got he got together money for this movie and not just that he got money together for other things too like uh, stopping Asian hate mm-hmm. they took out a full page ad in the the Wall Street Journal they took out a full page ad and just said hey this Asian hate thing's real it's happening yeah so so yeah so he got this movie made and it's on HBO now it's on HBO Max when right now. No, like when was it made? Um, probably two years ago. Two years ago. Maybe, mm. yeah, pretty recently. And so they knew it was going to be like the 10-year anniversary. So uh, what they called Lin Sanity was that like 12-game stretch where Jeremy Lin went off. And that was like 10 years ago. So it's kind of like a 10-year anniversary thing. I see. But they also wanted to tie it in to Asian hate. So it's kind of interesting. It talks about how impossible this uh, this basketball thing was, but also ties it into the current and like, you know what? Things are still rough for Asians, you know? Like Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of people thought, man, this is a this is a turning point for Asian Americans in twenty twelve. For sure. But you know, sometimes you ever heard this statement, you know, three steps forward, no, two steps forward and three steps back or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people thought that that was kind of what's happened with, um, you know, Asian Americans in America. It's it's not a better time for Asian Americans. In some mm-hmm. ways, it, it's a worse time. So. Yeah. So. All right. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for hanging out. <laughs> And yeah, if you have more ideas for shows, um, I'll let you know and we will discuss. Okay, cool. Have okay. a good night. You too. Thanks. See you. See you. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to the Infatuation Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you're doing great out there. 
Uh, we have a special guest that we can talk on any number of topics. I think with this guest, we could talk entrepreneurial stuff. We can talk about uh, supporting Asians. We can talk about movies. Uh, we're going to talk about all of it, actually. And we're going to talk to Dave Liu, who is working on so many different things. Um, but one of the things that he did was to to put his money where his mouth is, and he started up a way of talking to companies to see if they can support uh, initiatives and nonprofits to stop Asian hate. And recently, he is a Hollywood producer, and he's <laughs> one of the producers, one of the executive producers on 38 at the Garden, which is a short documentary film focusing on Linsanity, kind of from a different angle. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Everyone knows Linsanity from Jeremy Lin's run in the 2011 to 2012 season. But yeah, welcome to the podcast, Dave Liu. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Good to be here. Nice. Thanks for having me, Curtis. Oh, yeah. No, we just talked a second ago about, um, you know, just putting positive stories out there. And, and it seems like that's uh, kind of what you're, you're all about. Yeah. No, I mean, I, it's, it's something that I think is important for all of us to see ourselves in the, in the stories, the narratives out there. And I don't think we see ourselves enough. And if we do, not always in the most positive light. So um, I want to change that. The narrative and that's uh, that's been so that you know my kids and, and other kids out there and you know adults as well can can hear about themselves or hear, see themselves in whether it be media or business or politics or anything else i think uh i think a lot of us are are waking up to the fact that we need to take up our own space because you know we haven't been given that uh space to to begin with but we're, we're starting to make ourselves known yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Like we just talked about how you have little kids, and my my kids are middle age. I mean, it's not middle age, middle <laughs> school, <Yeah. laughs> uh, going to middle school, and so yeah, it's you know this podcast. I hope it lives on, and I hope someday you know maybe it'll be archived in in the internet, or at least where people can hear these stories and and maybe hear voices and see faces that that look like them and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Yep. Can we get into your origin story a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so. Yeah, so I was um I'm from the East Coast originally. I live in San Francisco now, but I grew up I was born in Queens, New York. Uh moved mm -hmm. to New Jersey when I was 3. Um and then grew up in New Jersey. Uh in my elementary school was in a mostly black neighborhood, mostly black and white neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um but there were very, I was the only Asian kid oh, uh, at that school uh, in Somerset, New Jersey. And then uh, my parents moved me to uh near Princeton, an area outside of Princeton that was you know, very good public schools. Uh, yeah. It was mostly Asians, Jewish kids. Uh, <laughs> and so a little change. A, uh, yeah, a little bit of a change. Uh, my grades, I had to, I definitely had to put <laughs> my grades a little harder. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that, that growing up in that elementary school environment, I had to learn how to survive and, and be like, you know, be sharp. I was you know, smaller, not, not as, yeah, yeah. Not as tough, but I definitely, had to have my wits about me. And uh, I think the only way I could survive is just my like quick tongue, just like being able yeah. to, you know, it was about your mama jokes and people make, making fun of each other. But if you can embarrass the other kids, then you become the, you know, alpha or so you, <laughs> they respect you more and they don't tease you anymore. So yeah. no one wanted to, to mess with me when it came to like, you know, insulting others, which is in a great way to grow up. But I think it, it you know, it made me tougher um, and not be afraid to back down from a fight. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it was good for me from there. I moved, uh, I went to Philadelphia to go to college at Penn. And then after graduating from uh, Penn, I moved out to San Francisco, where I've been for the most part of the last 20 some odd years um, yeah. working in and whatnot. So, yeah, it's all, it's all started in Queens and, and New Jersey. So, I got to ask, are you a uh, Knicks fan, Nets <laughs> fan, or Warriors fan? What are you now? So, I grew up watching the Knicks because my dad was a, yeah. a, a hardcore Knicks fan. And so, my, you know, my childhood teams were, you know, Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, John yeah. Starks, yeah, you know, yeah, Gerald Wilkins, and that that era of, of of basketball where we could not get past the Bulls, and even when the Bulls <laughs> went there, the Rockets took away our, our one championship. So, um, yeah, it was it was a pretty miserable um, experience because we got we were good, just we couldn't get, you know, past Michael Jordan, which many people couldn't. So, yeah. Um, it's been a long but, road for the Knicks fans. Out there. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I actually, after a number of um, realizations that Stefan Marbury, Eddie Curry, um, you know, and then cutting Jeremy Lin, that was the last straw. Yeah, I've yeah. been living in the Bay since, you know, 98. And when they cut Jeremy, that was for me the last straw. So I, 
I've been watching Warriors games for, for like 12 years or 14 <laughs> years by that point. And so I was yeah. like, you know what? Uh, I, I, I'm considering myself a Warriors fan now because I can't, you know, this Jim Dolan, <laughs> the owner of the Knicks, does not care about his fans. Yeah, yeah. Even when some, like a gift is handed to him, he just like, you know, let it go. So, yeah, uh, yeah and, you know, I people give me crap about leaving my childhood team, but I'm like, if you had an owner who, <laughs> if you're in an abusive relationship, <laughs> you, you gotta get out of it, okay? It's yeah, your own fault. You can't stay, stay there forever. That. Yeah, if you stay yeah. there, it's on you. <laughs> and then they've continued for the last 10 years to continue to do the same stuff. So it's not been that different. I'm glad I got out when I did. Yeah, and yeah. And the, the Warriors. Meantime, the Warriors are good. <laughs> so I, I made the right yeah, choice. I nothing think, wrong with that. Nothing yeah, wrong with it. exactly. So, yeah. So you went to B school, you went to Wharton, and then you came out to Stanford for, for B school. Yep. Have you always been a little bit of a hustler, a little bit of an <laughs> entrepreneur? Um, I think, you know, when I was little, I, I, I distinctly recall having a conversation with my dad, um, who actually passed away when I was 25. So he didn't get to see me even go to Stanford, but he we had this, like, we're looking at US News and World Report when I was probably in sixth grade or seventh grade or something. And he was like, we're just figuring out what I want to do with my life. He asked me and I was like, well, I don't want to be a doctor because I can't stand blood. And he told me, don't be a lawyer because you have to lie about so many things. Right. And then, you know, he's like, and then he's, he was a chemical engineer. He's like, don't be an engineer. You'll be working for someone the rest of your life. You're always working. Yeah. Um, so I said, you know what? I'm pretty, I was in like, you know, like uh, there was like a business thing for, for kids, junior achievement. Um, and I was always into business. I always came up with ideas and schemes. Um, so guess like a hustler, like I was into baseball cards and basketball cards, yeah, yeah. selling to friends, comic books, um, making money. Starts, book. right? <laughs> yeah. I did. I had a paper. My first ride job was a, you know, you know, paper boy. Uh-huh. Um, and then I remember setting up like little carnivals in like carnival games in my, my basement and charging people to come in <laughs> to play. Yeah. Um, and getting like, I just got prizes or whatever, but it was, I think I must've done it doing that one, like maybe like 10 or 11. But I think for me, I thought, you know, I told my dad, I was, I think I want to do business. And at the time Stanford was number one in the, in the world. So I thought, okay, someday I'm going to go there. And I did end up, uh, going, but you know, my dad wasn't around to see it, but I think mm-hmm. that was for me. Um, I knew I wanted to do something in business. Um, and yeah, it, it, I, that's what I continued pursuing. Yeah. So you get out of Stanford and you've had several ventures, but currently you're with Expo. You're the founder and president of Expo. Yeah. What, what's Expo yeah. do? So um, we started the company in 2015. It was really called Paired, um, but we were a labor marketplace that, you know, if you were a, a rest, ran a restaurant, a lot of times cooks, you know, don't show up to work or dishwasher doesn't show yeah. up or something happens yeah. or you fire someone. You can actually use an app and book someone to come in and fill a shift for you um, who has comparable experience. If they were trained at a similar, mm-hmm. you know, if they were a McDonald's employee paid before, they know how to go work the system. So we would fill in the gaps for a very wow. heavily constrained, supply constrained market uh, yeah. for labor. Um, pandemic hit and, you know, that, oh. that wasn't needed anymore. Uh, demand was gone. And so, you know, supply, a lot of people left the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but we pivoted to work with larger enterprises who we knew were going to be around. And a lot of restaurants don't actually know how to tie their their performance and their data to back to people and knowing who their best kind of players are, especially nowadays with the, you know, the labor market as constrained as it is, you don't have the luxury of just kind of like letting people go. So you have to kind of help people kind of get better um, and promote the people that deserve to be promoted. So um, yeah, we've been, you know, working uh, on that for a little while now and um, it's new, it's, you know, new to me, enterprise software, very different what what we're doing for, Um, but it's been a lot of fun. I like, as you can tell from the different projects, I like creating something from nothing. Yeah. And so startups are one of those things that I, I love to create. Yeah. No, I, I have a few friends in the restaurant industry and yeah, they would, I think they would tell you that that's their least favorite part of the job is managing yeah. people, hiring, firing, you know, they'd rather just cook all day and, you know. That's not what they signed up for. Yeah. They didn't sign up to be yeah. like HR kind of things, but that's what they are. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, then you went on to, to start Hyphen as well. Yeah. And how would you describe what Hyphen does? Yeah. So um, kind of rewind back to 2011, my first uh, company, um, Fanpop. I was here in the Bay and I realized that there weren't that many communities for founders uh, that were East and Southeast Asian. Mm -hmm. But I realized the only way to succeed in in just about anything is your network. And it was one huge network that we didn't have and that we, we couldn't. You know, it it was an advantage that others had that whether it be getting advice on who to who to fundraise from, who to invest, who which lawyers to use, you know, all sorts of things that or who to hire. If you didn't have the network, you were missing out. And you know, there were a bunch of really 
you know, strong Asian founders out there, but they didn't know each other. And so I pulled together a dinner of about, you know, eight of us um, and just ideas, you know, people started, you know, training notes and, you know, stuff started happening and it was, it was really beautiful to see. So started hosting these things, um, you know, once a quarter or so um, lunar new year banquets and, you know, holiday drinks and whatnot. And slowly but surely it grew and grew to about 200 or so folks right before the pandemic. Wow, wow. Um, yeah. And it was all local Silicon Valley folks. Yeah. Um, and it was, to me, it was um, specifically, I mean, it was very unfair to me that the funding ecosystem was so you know biased towards, you know, white male founders. And so I knew that a lot of these folks would not get funded. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, I thought maybe all two or three companies, you know, get through this um, with a few hundred thousand dollars. I created, a, I syndicated um, 60 or so of my friends and asked them, they were all angels. And I thought, Hey, let's help, you know, a few companies out. And I wrote a uh, medium post about it uh, to, to encourage folks to join. And it was supposed to be just for our community of 200, but one of them who has, hundred thousand followers and she was voted <laughs> uh, time magazine woman of the year this year uh-huh. um, she tweeted it and i was like oh man i'm gonna get canceled because this <laughs> is so surprisingly i it, it did not happen that way i had a million i had to quickly t- write a tweet storm and a thread or whatever and <laughs> write a linkedin post and i got about a million views on my linkedin post and oh. founders obviously reached out but more surprisingly and encouragingly all these folks who want to invest uh, came out of the woodworks, lawyers, wow. doctors, you know, engineers, everyone yeah. was like, Hey, this is really cool. I, I, this resonates with me. And yeah, sure. They all wanted to get into early stage investing because there are some, it's high risk, but it's good returns. Sure. Um, but beyond the diversification of portfolio, I think they really felt like I put my money in a lot of places, but this is somewhere I really feel like uh, it speaks to me. So yeah. Um, yeah. So now, Today we have over 900 folks uh, in the syndicate that are investing, <laughs> and it's been we've invested over 25 million in 80 plus companies, um, and all Asian American founded. Um, you know, anywhere from you know Thai founders, Vietnamese founders, Chinese, Taiwanese, yeah, Japanese, yeah. everyone. And um, this year, over 50 percent are women. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's I think for me that's important too because um, most people don't know this. I throw out this disc a lot, but. You know, only two percent of all of VC money goes to uh, black and brown founders, and only two percent goes to women. So yeah, and so it's, percent it's kind of, of percent. yeah, yeah. That's twenty-two percent of all the money, and so yeah. you know, that's not that doesn't seem right to me. And so people have to fix it. And if yeah. this is one way to do it, for me, it's like, hey, if you give these folks the money early on, they can prove themselves. But if they never get a sh- chance to go at bat, for me, it's let's give more people the first, you know, first at bat. I mean, yeah. it's just not, it's just not fair. So right. You you got any names you can drop for not not name brands that you can drop for us? Oh, they're all they're, they're on the website. One of my one of my favorites, which I I wasn't even going to invest in consumer products, is Sanzo. Um, uh-huh. Sanzo is everywhere now, but uh, we invested pretty early on, and we're I'm super proud of what uh, Sanzo is doing in terms of just representation. He's partnered with uh, Disney to do you know branded campaigns for Shang Chi and uh-huh. for Riot Dragon and Turning Red, and um, you know I think it's just seeing how he's brought flavors and calamansi that no one's ever heard of <laughs> yeah 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 to the mainstream is huge like you know now yeah. so he's really representing um really well but uh yeah there's i think th- there's a ton of you know young companies that have done really well we had an exit one of our companies sold to brex already um so <laughs> things have been things have been good um yeah. but again pandemic's been hard on a lot of folks too right. so we're trying to you know figure that out but um right now i'm trying to raise money for you know an asian american doll company and that's something that i no is frustrating for a lot of you know little girls who right. walk through target and they see only white girls and maybe mm-hmm. one black doll but no one that looks like them yeah yeah and uh for me that has changed because their confidence and and everything about their world is it it's kind of destroyed if they don't actually see themselves on you know tv or in the store yeah. and they feel no. like they're not included or seen we grew up in that era right like, yeah like it was Bruce Lee in the seventies and then nothing for like three decades. For a long time, yeah. yeah and yeah. until Jeremy Lin, right? But right, yeah, it's, right. It's, they can only name most people can only name like two people. And I think it was Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan is not even American. Right. Um, but that's those the Asian Americans that that people say they can, you know, name. And I'm like, that's just pretty sad. Yeah. And so if you're an actor and you don't know Kung Fu, you yeah. <laughs> you weren't getting a job for, yeah, exactly. for two decades, three decades. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then a, a, another initiative that you started or another um, uh, project that you were on was, I think we both agree that during that pandemic, it just broke our heart and broke our soul to see 
you know, our 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 elderly, not even elderly sometimes, but just seeing yeah. Asians getting attacked for, for really, really no reason. And you know what? You did something about it. You put your money where your mouth is and you started, uh, well, you stood behind Stand With Asians Against Hate and uh, you ended up raising like $10 million from some of your uh, financial buddies or your, your corporate friends. How, how did this yeah. start? Yeah. I mean, like you said, we it was you know, in the midst of the pandemic, um, and we had all been seeing them in our social media feeds, frustrated that a lot of people were not Asian, were not even noticing this because media wasn't covering yeah, a lot of stories. Yeah. But, you know, seeing from my now friends, you know, Dion Lim and, um, you know, Safan and other people, seeing the constant videos of attacks over and over again, reading about them in, you know, from New York to LA to here to wherever, um, it was pretty scary. And, you know, I live in San Francisco. And so this is happening in my backyard. Yeah, it's a little shocking. Pop. Yeah, I, I didn't think yeah. it would be like downtown SF, you know. Yeah, you would think it'd be somewhere there aren't that many Asians, but you're like, this is the most Asians in any, you know, yeah. city. we have a majority here. Yeah. But more importantly, you could, you imagine that being your mom or your dad walking down the street and something yeah. happening. Yeah. And, um, you know, just this weekend, they renamed a street, uh, Vichar Ratanapakti, who was murdered 600, over 600 days ago when someone just tackled him to the ground and killed him. And I think um, that was one of the first videos that really uh, struck a nerve with me. And then there was more and more like acid being thrown in someone's face, people being stabbed yeah. in New yeah. York. And then I think the straw that brought the camels back for me was Atlanta. And um, I was like, yeah. this is this is enough. Like I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to take this without saying something anymore. And so I started writing an essay or a letter, an open letter. And I had some friends um, look at it and, and give their thoughts. And one of them suggested, uh, my friend Wendy, when she suggested to buy a full page in the Wall Street Journal mm -hmm. or the New York Times or something. And so we did. Um, Eric Yuan, um, you know, basically paid for that, and it was awesome. And uh, we, I just wanted to show make us have a voice not just to ourselves the problem is a lot of times we mm -hmm. and one of my friends um was very skeptical about it. like why would you just give money to the journal and put an ad for, like why would you why don't you just put money towards fighting the cause i'm like the problem is that no one is hearing or no one is aware that this is happening and mm -hmm. only our community and just putting more money towards that is it's it's fine but there's something we need to awaken a lot of people and so by putting it in a mainstream publication with the big names of many, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm not that you know powerful or influential. <laughs> but I have many friends who are, and having those names stand behind it, yeah. the CEO of Google, um, Andre Iguodala, JJ Abrams, all these, President Bush signed it. Like when yeah. you have the weight of all these allies and make people realize who are the powerful Asian Americans in this country, they feel empowered. They feel strong. They feel like, you know, encouraged. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were missing that. They had, they felt like there was silence. There was who was speaking out on the behalf, who was there. And for them to know is like, Hey, like there is a coalition of people out there who is going to fight this and is, you know, they're not going to take the sitting down this happening. Not even a year after, you know, George Floyd and black lives matter movement. Yeah. I think it made me realize like, Hey, if I can, stand up and and fight for for you know a black the black community why should i not do the same for my community and we've been taught not to speak up too much or try to rock the boat uh, from a lot of our immigrant parents but i was done with that i mean i'm just as american as the next guy so for me it was about making sure our voice was heard we've contributed so much so much to this country and yet we're seen as forever foreigners yeah, and yeah. um you know we're, we're sick of that so Basically, this was kind of a putting our foot down. And I got so many messages after that from people who were grateful just that they saw the letter and mm -hmm. they were thinking, why am I even raising my kid here if I'm not wanted or if I'm, yeah. you know, people seeing this way, maybe I should move back to Asia or something. But then they read the letter and they said, you know, no, I should stay and fight. This is my no, country. We belong here. All right, man. Good stuff. We're gonna uh, shift gears a little bit, and your your next project to me looks a little different than the others. But there's a thread, there's a thread running through it. But uh, there's a documentary produced uh, by was it produced by HBO? Oh no! So it was it was um, there's there's two producers, um, Trayvon Free and uh, Samir Hernandez, who basically they won an uh, Academy Award for a drama short. A couple of years ago and um they are the producers they of the you know they put together 
this whole thing. And Frank Chi is the director. So the three of them approached me about financing this film, um, about how to pull money to finance this film. So our mutual friend, Nan Wang, uh, CEO of Sleeper, said, hey, you got to talk to Dave. He can find the money. I mean, I had the the network, so I I know the, the, the folks. And so, you know, I helped them kind of make this happen by you know basically shaking the tin cup uh-huh. <laughs> we wanted i want to make sure this happens and i i'm friends with execs of the warriors and so i asked them to also get involved and they they were interested because jeremy was they were jeremy's first nba team so basically it was like uh we helped to you know finance and make this thing happen yeah yeah okay so we're talking about 38 at the garden uh it is described as trying to talk about the cultural impact and the and the phenomenon that was Linsanity in 2011, 2012. I think anyone who's over the age of 12 knows about this this time period. It was it was one of these things that I think I heard uh, Frank Chi interviewed. He said basically that no one expected. It was a it was a miracle. It was a, it was something that came out of nowhere that no no one really saw coming. But it was it's this amazing period that we'll we'll talk about in a second. But do you remember as a fan? Do you remember that insanity period? I mean, this is the reason why I did this because I'm actually in the film because I was at the game, <laughs> fourth row behind Kobe and the Lakers. Um, uh-huh. Because I was, I had been following Jeremy since uh, his Harvard days. Uh, I was at Stanford already and uh, for the business school. And he came through during his Harvard days and was playing Santa Clara. And so I went down to Santa Clara to watch a game, uh, his game there. And I was like, wow, this kid's pretty good. Um, And I started following him from there. And so when he was signed by the Warriors, I followed that. But when Linsanity started happening, um, that first few games, like you know, I was I was yeah. just mesmerized, and so right. I flew out to uh, my my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, lives in D.C. So I flew out to see him play the Wizards uh, when he dunked on John Wall. Yeah. I dunked on the Wizards, um, but that game, um, and then I saw a few other games in the Garden, and one of them being um, the MSG game. So yeah, yeah. it all happened right around the time I was actually getting proposing to my wife. So uh, <laughs> the, my, my my proposal was. In Central Park, in between, I think it was like a <laughs> Charlotte Hornets, a New Orleans Hornets at the time, New Orleans Hornets game, and then the Mavs game on a Sunday. So, <laughs> yeah, a short, yeah, a small window to get that proposal. A small window, but yeah, no, but um, it was it was all like that was a very I was very fond of that kind of you know few weeks in in my life. I, I'll never forget it. But I mean, I'll never forget the way it made me feel. The reason why I was so into it was because I never felt that feeling before, like yeah. ever. Yeah, I mean we've we've had some victories, you know, ice skating, tennis, golf, you know, we had a few Asian athletes here and there, but the NBA yeah. was was a different one. Let, let, let's roll it back a second to talk about Jeremy Bay Area kid. We got to mention yep. uh, Palo Alto High School, yep. uh, two thousand five, or well, actually graduated two thousand six. They were I didn't I didn't know this. I looked this up. The state champions over modern day yep. that year. We won the state champ. Yeah, California Player of the Year, but he got no, no scholarships. No one recruited him. Dude, it was, Stanford is across the street, like literally yeah, across the street. He, get, he thought he'd get picked up, but they're not. They, they he's Asian. Everyone knew that he did not get picked up because he was Asian. Yeah, I mean, everyone was kind of citing the athleticism and yeah. his 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 jump shot was a little funky. Yeah, <laughs> to, to be honest, but yeah. but the numbers he put up. I mean, he averaged he crazy. Yeah, sixteen yeah. points a game, four rebounds, four four and a half assists, two and a half steals. Uh, one and a half blocks. I mean, he was, uh, you know, all all Ivy League team every year. Uh, not every year, but most of the years that he played, he was all Ivy League first team. I mean, he really put up some big numbers yep. in high school and in, and in Harvard. And then, then the NBA draft comes around, right? Yep. And again, no one's willing to take a chance on a on a kid, uh, Asian American kid. Yeah. I mean, they won't say it, but you know, there's probably some some uh optics there right definitely. <laughs> they, probably most definitely most yeah. definitely they see this asian american kid and he's he's not super super athletic i think he was like 200 pounds at that time and you know yeah but at the combine or wherever the recruiting was i 
I had read that somewhere that they said he was actually the fastest player at the combine and like no one ever acknowledged that or something. It was something, there was something that happened that yeah, really, yeah. Really fast, but people didn't believe the numbers. Yeah. He had, he had decent numbers. He wasn't like a total scrub. He's obviously yeah. athletic enough to play yeah. in the league. I and mean, we yeah. know that now. Right. But for some reason, for whatever reason, right, he gets passed by pretty much everyone. But Donnie Nelson, another Bay Area guy, uh, saw him play uh, and invited him to the summer league with the yeah. Mavericks, yeah. and he did well. He put up put up some decent numbers, solid numbers, and I think he like four or five teams gave him a a, a D league offer. Yeah, but he chose Golden State Warriors, hometown hometown yeah. team. Joe Lacob, his son Kirk, uh, played with him in AU, and so Joe knew him growing up because uh, he played, you know played with his son so. Yeah, cool. So, so uh, he gets a he gets a two year uh, D league contract with the Warriors. Um, doesn't doesn't knock it out of the park in the D league, but uh, he he hangs around, and he's he's waived by the Warriors eventually, but picked up by Houston, and then it was the Knicks who came in there and said, "Yeah, we'll give these guys, we'll give this kid a chance." Yep. And but he's on the bench. He's on the bench for about two months. I think mm-hmm. something some number like he played. 50 minutes in 25 games or something like that. He's like averaging like two minutes a game. And then the good, maybe this is the good thing, right? The Knicks are so bad. <laughs> and injured. And injured. injured. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And then uh, Mike D'Antoni uh, gives him a chance. He goes in there and, and he puts up like 20-something points. Yep. That's, yep. And then uh, then they said, we should put this guy in the starting lineup because we got injuries, we got bereavement lo- leaves and stuff like that. So he gets put in, so it's February 4th, I think it was, and they put him in the starting lineup and he, he puts up 25 points, five five boards and seven assists and... And then I think they start saying, "Hey, why don't we? Why don't you know? Why don't we put this guy in the starting lineup every day?" Mm-hmm. And he starts playing, and he goes on this streak. They go on a seven-game win streak. Uh, he scored more. Like this is a, I think it's still a record. He scored more in his first three games, right. first four games, first five games, starting in in the starting lineup than anyone else in in current NBA history. Yep, that's, that's right. That's amazing. Like something like 139 points in five games. Yep, yep. No, that will not be broken. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah, and of course. Uh, what what day was that? Thirty eight at the guard. What day? That was February. I would say it was like February twelfth or tenth or something yeah. like that. Yeah, the exact date. Yeah. It's like his fourth start or something like that. Yeah, and that's right. everyone's like, "Oh, it's Kobe. He's gonna shut yeah. him down." You know, Lakers yep. Showtime, right? They're yep. gonna get rolled. But yeah, he had the game of his life. <laughs> yep, still it was to this incredible. to this day, right? I think this is electric. Yeah, not, yeah. yeah. He he just couldn't miss that game. It's one of those games where you know, like he just gets oh, he's on doing fire. moves he said he never did before, doing spin moves and things on. <laughs> on. I was like, wow. Yeah, and I you mean, were there. I, I, I have video. Yeah, I have video of some of it. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's incredible. You want to say how much you dropped for those tickets? Oh, I was very fortunate. I have, I have very uh, connected friends, so okay. I don't know how to say that. All right, all right. I'm yeah, grateful you, to my friends. Sometimes yeah. it's it's what it's who you know, not what you know, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially if you want to get that close. This where stuff, where but, were you? <laughs> you were right behind Kobe's bench. I was uh, about four or five rows behind Kobe. Yeah. Oh man, so are you sure? And up? so that's why. Fifteen minutes, I made a sign. Fifteen minutes before the game, I decided to go to Staples and draw a sign up. Uh, it said it was you know I knew ESPN loves acronyms, obviously. So right. I did Legend in New York, L I N. That was you. And so. I was, I've been in a lot of videos and I was in Sports Illustrated. I was in Sports Center for like a week. Um, it was, it was pretty epic. So, you know, this whole game and this, you know, whole moment meant so much to me because, again, as a kid growing up in Jersey, he was a Knicks fan. Like, you know, this was the dream of, of, you know, this all happening. It was like a kid who went to, you know, like a, a nerdy kid who went to Ivy League school, showing <laughs> up at the NBA and on your team and all sorts of this stuff was like, it was too, too good to be true. And look, I work, I work, I worshiped Michael Chang when I was in you know, I know, seventh grade. Yeah. And that was my my thing. I played yeah, tennis. Me too. And he inspired me to play tennis. And I played my high school team and in, in, in some in college. But the the NBA is something that, you know, as a kid, it's it's you dream. I mean, you you literally, this is like you would never you would never imagine because you've never seen it before. Yeah. An Asian person playing in the league as yeah. well as he did. And yeah, Yao Ming. Yao Ming. But he's seven, he's seven foot. He's a freak. Yeah. Yeah. He's a freaking nature. So this is like a normal person like yeah. playing and he's given, you know, showing up and it's like, you know, and he's blowing past, uh, you know, all these people. And so I think for me, you know, he wasn't just a spot up shooter guy. He was actually driving aggressively yeah. to the rim. He was waving off other players and like his own team and, and other people. I was like, yeah, this doesn't, I mean, this doesn't happen. And so for, and for me, I, I, it's 
I, I don't know that we need validation from other people, but to see the faces in that garden that night when I was there, yeah, the Rock was there. You know, yeah. Spike Lee was there. I mean, all these people are there. Yeah, and like the, a couple of the New York Giants were there. But you're just like this. This guy is like blowing people away, and it's it's not just Asian people. It's everyone yeah. cheering like crazy for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, kids of all colors and people wearing his jersey, and I was like, the, the whole world is celebrating. It was the world. Yeah. Yeah. The war, I mean, I was getting texts that after that game from all over the world from friends who saw me on TV, and yeah. I was like, "Whoa!" And for us, it's like, when have you ever had? I mean, other than BTS now, but <laughs> when, have you, when have you ever seen the entire world go go nuts over like yeah. you know yeah. what? No, two thousand twelve. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was, it, it, it was like watching a unicorn. It was like watching yeah. something like, what that is happening. Yeah, it was it was trippy, and yeah, like you said, it was African Americans, it was white people, it was the media, no. it was Bay Area, East Coast, you know, everyone. It, China and Taiwan agreed on it. <laughs> you know, to get Taiwan and China to agree on I anything agree. is something, right? So they were all this on board. True. This is true. So yeah, it was it was such a crazy. Although they time. were both kind of claim him as their own, yeah. so that's different. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at yeah. least they liked it. At least he can yes. he can bridge it a little bit, a little for bit. sure. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was it was such a such a time period, and it, it's hard to believe that it's been ten years. Yeah, like it's uh, it's. It seems like so long ago. And that's one of the things that we talk about in the film. Frank, uh, the director, is amazing. He had worked on, uh, on you know, the Obama like, administration. And so he had done films about RBG and um, you know, some other documentaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, um, the story he put together was this. He wanted to do this film because um, him and Trayvon were talking about impossible moments. And you know, what are the impossible moments in your, our lifetime? And Obama becoming president felt like an impossible moment. Right, um, right. And then... For him, it's like for every Asian, insanity was an impossible moment. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so he wanted to dive into that and what it meant to us and why it meant so much. For me, the the, the film talks about how it wasn't about you know how awesome that two weeks was. It was the fact that we've never even allowed ourselves to imagine that we could anyone that looked like us could be in that position. Yeah, it blew our minds because it was like this is not even in the realm of possibility for us. Yeah. And sad because all our lives, whether because our immigrant parents have, you know, focused on security and safety and they didn't want us to push too hard. Hassan Minaj says in in the film is like, you know, Asians aspire to be like middle managers at Deloitte. That's as high as we (laughs) want to go. For Jeremy, it was like, hey, great. He's, he, he won a cause, you know, he's on the Palo Alto basketball team. Great. Oh, he won a state championship. Great. Oh, he's California player. Maybe he'll play in college. Oh, he played at Harvard. That's good. He'll get some minutes, but you don't think it's going to go beyond that. And you wouldn't even aspire to like, Oh, he's playing on an NBA team. Oh, okay. That's good. Maybe he'll sit on the bench. That's fantastic. Oh, wait, he's getting minutes. He's playing. Oh, oh he's scoring 30, 10 points, 20 points, 30 points. But every time the ceiling kept getting like blown away because our ceiling on ourselves and what other people stereotypes of us we put we place on ourselves we've capped how far and how high we yeah. can go because of what we've told ourselves and what other people have told it made us believe yeah and so that's why i mean do i blame the you know the barons and the you know the rich guys who take advantage of asians being laborers like if you don't complain about it and you don't fight why should you get promoted You're complicit, no, you yeah. don't advocate for yourself who's going to advocate for you yeah. so for me a lot of it is this film is about how we have kind of undersold ourselves and under like we you know don't we don't um believe in enough of ourselves to to reach as high as we possibly can um so we put place limits on what we're where our potential um and that's sad and when we saw someone like jeremy blow through the roof of that um it was it, it was so meaningful to like so many in the community because they're like whoa like why aren't i you know trying to reach higher like why yeah. can't i do because yeah. look at what he did and so this comes out. I mean, by the time this episode drops, it'll be out. Yeah. Uh. So. So why now? Why? Why ten years later yeah. do we come out with this documentary? I think it's. I mean, it was. It was. Uh. Again, an impossible moment, and having uh, commemorating it with uh, this documentary is one thing, but also juxtaposed with all the increase in hate crimes, yeah. it was. It was. It's about that. It's about the impossible. How the whole world was cheering for this one Asian guy, and now, you know, in this country, we're being treated the way we are, and we're like afraid for our, you know, parents and yeah, elders, and yeah. sisters and mothers, uh, and wives being out on the street. And so, I think this is a a rallying cry for us, and also a reminder. There's like, hey, you know, th- 
why like basically questioning why could someone who was so beloved for that span all of a sudden like can the world be so different for us here yeah. um, and so i think it's it's hopefully i mean as jeremy said he hopes it inspires people gives hope to people but gives them a sense of like dignity and pride um be, to be asian um yeah. and you know just like the the letter in the wall street journal i i wanted to do this because i felt like this is a stamp on and uh and a rallying cry for our community to um realize our potential and not be quiet like be you know there's they they, they talk about how um in, in the documentary during the toronto game when he hit the game winner you see him pushing off other players you never see an, an Asian <laughs> push off white black people and everyone's saying you know i got this uh-huh. and take command yeah. um and and just wave off everyone is like oh, i got this and then he hits the game winner it's like we don't take that chance we don't have the confidence to do that we don't yeah. believe in ourselves to take that shot but Jeremy did all of that. And mm-hmm. I think that's what is, I think, for me, most striking about that moment. And I will have this documentary around to show my kids. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able, my boys will see this and, and yeah. know this is this was possible. Um, yeah. So don't limit yourselves. Right, right. Yeah. And then you got you got a bunch of other people come on the film. Uh, I saw, uh, who was it? Lisa Ling. Lisa Ling's in it. Ronnie Cheng, Hassan Minaj. Um, Tyson Jenny Chandler. Tyson Chandler, Iman Shumpert. Um, so they're all in it. Um, it's, I think it's a lot of it is, you know, you, you think, Oh, like, why are these comedians all in this thing? But I think in, in light of all the stuff that's happening, you hear, and look, I lived through it. I went to games. I was there for that game. Yeah. yeah. And I thought I knew everything about Jeremy in that, that moment. But when you think about it, you weren't, you don't know how it meant, what it meant to everyone else until you hear from them. And so hearing the perspectives of what it meant to, you know, those folks is, is very interesting. Um, it was eye opening to me because I, Hassan Minaj is brilliant and his take on it. Yeah. Some of the stuff I was like, Whoa, I never saw it that way. The wave mm-hmm. off thing. I'm like, I never even noticed that. Yeah. yeah. But that was, that was deep. And so yeah. I think, you know, he's, he, he definitely kind of just hearing perspective from other people really, really changed, um, a, a lot. Like it, it added to the experience even more so for me. Yeah. That was cool. And it gets a little serious at the end. Yeah. I cried both times I saw it in at Tribeca. Um, I think it's when you experience that moment, the highest of highs and the moments of glory that he had. And then, you know, you jump into scenes about, you know, the Asian hate crimes. They're and, still there. You, yeah. know, you, hear, you hear it. It's hard not to, you know, really feel the pain. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to recommend this film to everybody. When, it, when you get a chance, uh, get on HBO Max, take a look. October 11th is going to drop there. Um, did well at Tribeca Film Festival already. Anything else you want to say about this film? I mean, this is not just for Asians. This is oh, for yeah? everyone. Yeah. yeah, this is for anyone who wants to be inspired by a story of, you know, uh, against all odds, someone making it when everything else was against, the odds were all against them. That, again, like, you know, if any, it was every step of the way he had to fight for and, and get to push break through barriers of doubt um and skepticism for anyone the, uh, the the odds no matter how hard they might be or how stacked against you they might be they're poss- it's possible to break through um yeah, and, and break those odds yeah, <laughs> yeah. so dream yeah. big i mean i think that's the biggest takeaway for me and that's what i want my, my kids and everyone else to see is like don't let others dictate for you how high you can go or how how you know far you can go because only you can do that. And and so I heard he was a little reluctant, but but you got Jeremy on board for this film. It little took a little yeah, work. He did, well, because Jeremy already did a previous movie that he, during the season yeah. they were that season they filmed him all the time and asking questions. But I think this time it was about other people's how how what it meant to other people not to him okay, um, okay. so i think that was really meaningful for because he wanted to see he wanted this to be like hey this is yeah i get it now he's, he's owning it now there's like this was inspirational other people. he can't take that away like whether he likes it or not he's like uh-huh. i don't want he didn't want to be a center of attention but he's uh-huh. like but i can't change what it means to everyone and it meant a lot so i want to yeah. you know i want to be a you know i am grateful for being able to inspire people and he's owning it and so yeah. i think it's great that he um you know he got on board and his family got on board yeah so, do you have his phone number on your phone right now? I do. Damn, <laughs> was like, man. But he's in China, so I can't really, you know. Is he, <laughs> is he just the nicest dude? Is he a cool he dude? Is, he's a great, he's a really great guy. He's like so down to earth. He would, you know, he's he's just a, a really good dude. So, All right, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy to go from sitting on that, that, that you know, at the Lakers game to now, you know, talking to Jeremy about stuff. But um, <laughs> I think it's, he sees what this, you know, this film and the platform could do and how much, you know, a lot of, like I said before, the net, people in startups or anywhere in the world, they don't yeah. get anywhere with the network. So 
if we all work together and create coalitions and you yeah. know work together, we can make change. I mean, he's an entrepreneur too. I mean, he he's yeah. he's got some savvy, so he he might need yeah. some connections from you. So it's a right. two way. It's a two way. Everyone helps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, man. We end this show by talking about our infatuations, like people that inspire us from the Asian community. Uh, Dave Lude, you got an infatuation? Oh yeah, I forgot you're going to ask me this question. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny. I think, you know, for me, I've, I've actually, fortunately, from Twitter, gotten to know her and um, in person, but Minjin Lee, oh. she's a writer of Pachinko. She's um, cool, yeah. She, yeah, she's, I mean, she, again, like me, raised and went to, you know, went to an Ivy League school and was going to law school and right. did the whole thing. And then so she started smart, writing yeah. books. Yeah, she started writing books. And she wrote, um, you know, Free Food Millionaires and Pachinko, and she's writing another book. But She's won all these awards and she's um, using her platform to speak on, you know, all, all that's happening to our community. And like, she doesn't have to, I mean, she's, you know, working on her second book. She's teaching at Amherst. She's doing all sorts of great things. Um, and people of all different, you know, ethnic backgrounds really love her and for her to use the platform to bring awareness and any chance she gets to bring awareness to what's going on. Um, is amazing. And she's just so articulate. When you hear her, you know, she spoke at our, our one-year anniversary of the Atlanta murders in New York and Times Square. And, you know, you can't help but feel that emotion um, when you hear her speak. And so, you know, for me, I think that's um, probably the, the a person. I'm lucky that I, I've gotten to know her, um, but she and how she uses her platform um, just really, really, I think, um, inspires me to to want to whatever I have to do the most with it. Yeah, and she's just really funny. <laughs> yeah, she's she just is. a cool. She's a cool person. Yeah, yeah I, she is. Man, i I need your uh, I need your contacts, man. You know everybody. <laughs> yeah, you and everyone else wants my contacts. <laughs> I know. That's like I said, man. It's not what you know. Sometimes it's, it's who you right. know. No, she's and really the cool. The more our community realizes that, yeah, the more power we'll have. No. So that's what we do. That's great. Yeah, no, she's a good choice. Loved Pachinko, the book, uh, the TV show. <laughs> Yeah, it, was, it didn't do it justice, but she wasn't a, really a part of that. So yeah, <laughs> she's she's amazing. Yeah, no yeah. good choice. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on with us. Uh, sure. Anything on tap for you that we need to know about? Just keep know. doing the work. <laughs> yeah, keep doing the work. Uh, I'm thinking I might want to. I might my next project. I might work on a kids book. Okay. Because um, I have three, you know two boys, and uh, I I feel like I read all these books to them. I'm like, man, I there needs to be some other lessons they learn here. So. Um, like I said, I like creating things out of nothing, and you know this is yet another project. But I think it's it's again the the Jeremy you know story of why not? Yeah. Like why why can't it be me? Why can't I write a book? Why can't I make a movie? Why can't I do? You know, it's like right. always ask yourself why not because if you ask yourself always asking yourself why, then you have like you know what what direction or conviction do you have in life? If you feel convicted about something or you feel passionate about something, give it you know try. This, this, you can't you can only fail. And that's the worst that can happen. But you already failed if you didn't even start. Yeah, yeah. Why not us, man? <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, man. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been a it's real fun chatting with you. I'd love to pick your brain about so many other things too. So we we'll have to have yeah. you on another time. <laughs> Second after this, so no problem. Great to meet you, Curtis. Thanks so much. All right. Cool. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, Dave. Bye. Bye.